Hello everyone, today we're going to talk about the spiritual anatomy of a Christian on episode number two here. We're going to uh, talk about what makes up a Christian and uh, and this new life that we're walking. So uh, it's the spiritual anatomy of a Christian. So mankind is a unique creation of God and we are set apart from the rest of his creation. We are a very peculiar people because we have a three part. We're spirit, soul, and body. We we have our mind, will, and emotions that is our soul. We have our physical flesh, our body, but we have the spirit that is where God came in and made us alive when we became saved. When we got our salvation, we were made alive in spirit. So that's where we need to be uh, focusing on as a Christian. To worship God is to worship him in spirit. So the anatomy here in Genesis 2 and 7, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. You see, he didn't have a living soul until God breathed his breath into him, the breath of life, that's where our spirit came from. God put his spirit, we were made in his image. And God breathed his breath into us. And when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, that's where the death of the spirit came from. That's where we needed to be made alive. We need to be reborn. Uh, so this is where we're going to pick up at because our spirit is where our God awareness is at. We interact with God. We interact with the Holy Spirit. We interact with him and talk with him in spirit through our spirit. Our soul is our self-awareness. We have personality, reasoning, emotions, our mind, will, and emotion type of thing going on. Our body is the world awareness where we uh, where we operate in this world that we live in. We interact with the physical world through our body's senses. And uh, listen to this scripture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, and the very God of peace sanctify you holy. Not holy as in holy like God is, but I mean holy like the whole thing and not in peace. W-H-O-L-L-Y. And the God of peace sanctify you completely, every bit of you. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So salvation and spirit at some point in time in your life, you will become completely preserved. You will be sealed by the spirit of God and you will become preserved in until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and he will put on you an immortal body. You will be transferred from flesh to immortality. But until then, you, are, you will be preserved by him and his spirit. And Romans 8 and 6 says, the spirit itself bears witness with our spirit. He's talking about the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. The spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. This is our anatomy. This is what makes a Christian different from anybody else. 1 Corinthians 14 and 15, Paul told us that I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit and I will sing with understanding also. He wants to pray and sing in the Spirit. We praise God spiritually. We worship Him spiritually. We don't worship in the flesh and put on a show. Our, our spirit pours out to Him and and recognizes him in spirit. So we need to understand that we 
we have a spirit, we have an anatomy in our life that is different from anybody else's. And I want to talk about God's divine nature here for a minute, his character, and then my human nature. The main purpose of this lesson here is to help clarify the events which led to our present condition as a believer, having two two natures alive in us. So a lot of biblical principles will introduce in these in these lessons they'll help us understand our truths and uh and you'll find it out in later on lessons but we want to talk here about the character of god it's it's important to understand the significance of biblical terms that describe god's attributes who he is his attributes will be reinforced as we allow the holy spirit to speak through us and to us in his written word. That's why we need to read the Bible more than anything in the world. We need to read his word and let it get in us. And then as we read it more and more and as we walk through this life and as we praise him and worship him, his word will manifest and explain itself and we will start understanding his word. And it's important to that the that the main purpose of presenting the attributes of God's character is to demonstrate how reasonable it is for us to trust him. As an unbeliever, uh, we were accustomed to trusting in ourselves. But as a believer, we need to form the habit of trusting God in every decision we make daily. So we must reason out that if God's character is as portrayed in the Bible then it's very logical that I should trust him completely and uh, it's very illogical or Ill- illogical for me not to trust him. It's in, in other words, you know, we put this in good old country boy terms. It's really ignorant of me knowing what I know about God. When I read about him, I find the truth of him in the Bible. It would be really ignorant of me not to trust him and what he says because that's his character that I need to look at in in the Bible. The scriptures display God's character. There's no reasonable logic for me not yielding to him. A major reason, a major reason that uh, uh, people have a tendency to distrust God is because we don't see God in our character. But if God were like me, then it would be quite reasonable for me to distrust him. So his character is not like that. And you may not understood that, but uh, God's God's character is so much different than our character is. He's holy. He's set apart. He, he doesn't have flesh attributes in him. He doesn't have a sin nature in him. He cannot sin. He, his character is so much different from us. And so our mindset tends to want to distrust things about his word. And when he says to do things that may be plumb far out of understanding, like... <laughs> Like trusting that somebody that died two thousand years ago that's not that's not standing here in the flesh in front of me right now, explaining to me and convincing me that his death on the cross pays for my sins, and I don't have to worry about ever being judged for my sins because I've already, he's already paid my debt for me. It's hard to trust that because that guy's not here talking to me. He was here two thousand years ago. And he died 2,000 years ago, and that death and that payment for sins, that justice that was portrayed on him on that cross 2,000 years ago, it's still good for me today, even though Jesus is not here, even though the cross is not sitting out in my backyard and me watching him hang there so that I can see in person that he did die, that doesn't make him ineffective 
on his payment for my sin, I can still trust him that that's what, the, that's what faith is. You, you believe things and trust in things even though you don't see them clearly. You believe God's nature in what he says. So let's look at God's character. 1 John 4 and 16 says God is love. Romans 5 and 8 says God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John 3.16 says God loved the world so much that he gave his son to die for us that whoever believes in him won't perish. They'll, they'll have eternal life. Uh, eternal life. 1 John 3.16 says hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. It, it tells the same story as John 3.16. But God is sovereign. He's a sovereign God. Listen, uh, Job 34 verses 14 and 15 talks about this. If he set his heart upon man, if he gathered unto himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and no man shall turn again unto dust. But but see, he says, God set his heart on man. God believes in us. God loves us so much that he wants to turn his love toward us and have mercy and grace toward us. This is his character. This is who God is. Daniel chapter 4 verse 35, And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his own will in the army of heaven and among all the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? God does everything that he wants to do and we are nothing. We are just a speck of dirt in God's eyes but his character is everything that has ever been created is, is under his hand. Everything that has ever been created is under his control. He's sovereign. He's in total control. He has no rival. He has nobody that tells him what to do. He don't seek counsel from anybody but himself. He is God all by himself. He doesn't need anybody else to make him righteous. We need him to make us righteous. God is righteous, he's holy and pure, he cannot lie, and he can do no wrong. Psalms 18 and 30 says, as for God, his way is perfect. God is a perfect God, and Deuteronomy 32, 3 and 4, ascribe you greatness unto our God, he is the rock, his work is perfect. 2 Samuel 22 and 31, God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. Matthew 5 and 48 in the New Testament, your father which is in heaven is perfect. So let's look at this. God never changes. He, he's a God that has always been the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Nothing about him changes. What he willed 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross is the same thing that he wills today. His will doesn't change. His mind doesn't change. He's always the same. He's sovereign. He, he, doesn't, make, he doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make choices that he later on finds out that he could make a better choice. So he just enhances that choice and adds to it and makes them maybe he makes revisions of choices god does not do that he doesn't have to make a revision to his choices he doesn't have to revise his actions because he's sovereign he's god he's holy all by himself so he never changes 
Psalms 102 verse 25, Of old hast thou laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them, talking about all of his creation, shall wax old like a garment, as a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. But you, O Lord, are the same, and thy years will have no end. God will never die. He don't even have a he don't even have a beginning or an end. Malachi 3 and 6, he says, For I am the Lord and I change not. God doesn't change. God is faithful. He's totally trustworthy and dependable. And we need to understand that. And we can trust in his word and what he says. The reason why we're putting so much emphasis on trusting in God's word is because when you believe in Jesus Christ for salvation, the devil can get a hold of you and cause you to not believe what you believed and cause you to turn back if you don't trust God's word. You have to know that what he says is it's infallible. It will never change and it doesn't make mistakes. God's word is sovereign. It says his word will never come back to him void. It will always accomplish everything that it sets out to do. So you can trust him and his word. Deuteronomy 32 and 3 through 4, ascribe you greatness unto our God, a God of truth and without iniquity. God has nothing wrong, no flaws, no, nothing that was ever a mistake. Psalms 36 and 5, Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reaches under the clouds. And listen to Psalms 86 and 15, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in, listen to this, episode 1 told us this, plenteous in mercy and truth. God will always be able to give you mercy and truth. He's always going to have mercy on you when you trust his word that Jesus Christ, the son of God, died for you and gave you the salvation that you didn't deserve. That's where his mercy is always there. Psalms 86 and 15. He's full of compassion for you. He's gracious. He's giving you grace. He's long suffering. He puts up with our sins when he don't have to, but he buys us time. He gives us time and he is, has plenty of mercy for you when you believe in his truth. That scripture is so awesome for us to believe in today. And Satan's strategy, listen to me, Satan's strategy is to try his best to persuade you, to talk you into believing that God is not trustworthy. He don't want you to believe the word of God. He don't want you to believe that Jesus Christ's death really paid for your sins. Maybe it paid for them one time, but the next time you mess up, it's over. Once you make a mistake, it's over. Satan wants you to believe that you can come to Christ and, and become a Christian, but if you ever make a mistake again after that, you could only turn to Jesus Christ one time. After that, it's over with. That's Satan's plan. He gets so many people with that, but it's not not true. His, his, his death, burial, and resurrection covered every sin. It's good from now through eternity. Every time that you need to turn on him, the scripture says that he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. He said, my grace and mercy, it's new every morning. He said, wherever sin abounds, my grace is more abundant. There's so much more grace than there is sin. You cannot outrun God. He's always going to be there. And every time you call on him, he will be there to forgive you of your sins. 
But Satan does not want you to believe that. He don't want you to trust God's word. He wants to undermine your confidence in God's character. See, in Genesis 3, verses 1 through 5, Satan wanted to instill doubt. He wanted to insinuate, he wanted to convince us that God is a liar, suggesting that God didn't have their best interest, mankind's best interest at heart. He was telling them that they that they shouldn't they shouldn't have to withhold from having something. They should be able to have everything that he created. He was implying that withholding any type of thing that was good for them was just God just being wrong. And it, but if God didn't love them, how then could he be trusted? Satan was trying his best to convince Adam and Eve. And of course, he pulled it off. He, he made it happen. But see, this is Satan's job. He's always trying to persuade you that God is not trustworthy. But everything that he tells you is a lie. If you get a thought in your head, listen to me today. If you get a thought in your head that says, God don't want to hear from me because I messed up. God is tired of me failing all the time, so he don't want to hear from me right now. He's mad at me. Any type of thought that you have like that is coming from Satan. He's a liar. Don't believe it. Don't trust it because that's not God's nature. He's full of grace and mercy and truth for you. Truth. He's full of truth. You can trust his word. When Adam and Eve were created, they were made perfect. As was everything else in creation, they were completely and totally satisfied. They didn't have any lacking in anything, just like Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I don't have any need for anything. They were not lacking anything. Everything they did was in total harmony with God's character, and death did not exist before they sinned. So what I told you in episode one, sin is what brought corruption into this world. Not trusting God's word is what brings corruption into your life. If you will trust God's word, you are absent from corruption. Yes, your body may decay because of the sinful nature, the two natures that lives in you, but corruption cannot overtake your spirit. It's going to live forever because of asking Jesus Christ to come in it. You've got to trust God's word and not let corruption enter in. Romans 5 and 12, Wherefore, as one man sinned, and sin entered into the world through one man, Adam, and death entered into the world by that one man, Adam's sin, listen to this, and so death passed upon all men, everybody from that day forward, for that all have sinned. But... When Jesus Christ comes into your life, your spiritual status, being born again spiritually, not in flesh, you don't enter back into your mother's womb and be physically fleshly born again, but you're born again in spirit. You were born in spirit back in the Garden of Eden. Mankind was born then. You personally were born in spirit when Christ entered into your life. You have to trust God's word that that's true. You got to understand Adam and Eve believed Satan's lie about God's character and they ate the fruit. They choose to pursue self-satisfaction and they became independent of God. So they thought. But the choice to live independently for God was evident in three different areas. So listen to this. Their human understanding, their, their desire for obtaining wisdom, their appetites of the body, the flesh, was good for food and their possessions. 
they they wanted they wanted understanding. They had an appetite in the flesh, and they wanted possessions. They had the delight; something looked good in their eyes. Temptation falls into those three areas. It's important to see that this predisposition toward independence as the root of the problem of all humanity and the one driving force behind this global individual resistance of God. We have to understand that God is sovereign, God is life, God is love, and if we do not follow God's word, if we do not trust God's word, then you have corruption. Anything lacking of trusting God's word ends up in death and corruption. That's why we believe God's word, we trust in God's word, and we lean to him in everything that we are. That's why Jesus came. Jesus was born into the human race, but he did not have a sinful human father. His father was not of the flesh. The Holy Spirit is the one that conceived Jesus Christ. That's why his seed was not evil. He was the second Adam, so to speak. He was born with sinless human nature that Adam had before he fell in the garden, before Adam sinned. Jesus was born with the same nature that Adam was created as. He had the righteous character of Jesus as seen in his life, and God had originally intended this for Adam until Adam sinned. So 1 Corinthians 15, 45-46, the first man was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickened spirit, a made alive spirit. So the difference is the mind, will, and emotion in Adam, the soulless realm, had no knowledge of sin whatsoever, had no knowledge of good and evil whatsoever until they received of the fruit of that God told them not to eat and they became knowledgeable of good and evil. God didn't change the knowledge of good and evil. He came in and gave you a quickened spirit because the, the penalty for sin was paid for through Jesus Christ. And once you receive that penalty for sin, even though you know the knowledge of good and evil, you know the difference between good and evil now, you've been made alive in a new spirit and that new spirit and the word of God and trusting in God points you toward good. It points you toward not having a desire to follow those things of the world that are evil. So the, the quickened spirit in you turns you toward living right and not desiring the things that made Adam and Eve fail. You understand that? The serpent came to Adam and Eve and caused them to start questioning God and desiring things in the flesh. It's the desires of the flesh that caused the sin. So now we have a quickened spirit that draws us to God because we're closer to God now in spirit than he was back then. We have Christ operating inside of us. As Christ comes into us, his word gets into us. As we read the word and we trust God's word, it becomes alive inside of us and these attributes of God begin to act out of us and work through us to create a living spirit inside of us that has a desire to chase after God's righteousness and not chase after the individual fleshly desires and corruptible things here on this earth. Hope that makes sense to you. Because Jesus was tempted in the same three areas that Adam was tempted in, but Jesus chose 
to trust himself into God's care instead of believing Satan's enticement to seek and to live independent of God. You, you see the difference here? See, the, the soulless realm was tempted in the mind, will, and emotions. They saw something was good. They, they, they craved it. They desired it in their flesh, and they took it back in the Garden of Eden. Jesus had the Spirit of God operating into him, and he was tempted in the same areas that Adam was tempted in, but he chose in the Spirit to entrust himself into God's care and he didn't believe Satan's enticement to seek to live independent of God. And that's what made the big difference. Adam did not pass the test when Satan tempted him. And Jesus did pass the test. And that's what made him perfect enough to die for your sins and to pay your price and have justice be served on Jesus Christ for your sins. And upon believing Jesus Christ, and I become a new believer. I was born into the spiritual race. You were born into the spiritual race and received the divine nature of Jesus Christ in the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moved into you and started living out of you, and this is important for you. The, the sinful human nature can never be improved. Because the, sin, the sinful human nature still lives. Paul said that he had two natures living in him and fighting over dominion in his life. But the spiritual nature that lives in you, born into the dominion of God's kingdom, it takes dominion over the flesh and has more power over you when you trust in God and you read his word and you focus on him. It will have more dominion and give you the power to overcome the enemy and not chase after the flesh because it can't be improved until you move into glory and you put on that glorified body. But until then, you have Christ to turn to. He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins if you mess up, but keep trusting God's word. God's word is what we need to focus on. So I want you to understand that today. God's righteousness, his divine nature, his character, and our nature are so much different that fleshly nature that's in us, that sinful nature that's in us, we can't improve the sinful nature, but we can definitely be born into God's divine nature and live in God's nature, and it will drive us into his hands and drive us into thinking of him. Whatsoever things are good, pure and holy, of good report and honest, those are the things that we will learn to trust in and focus on and chase after because God's nature always has dominion over the flesh. Amen. I pray that this takes care of you. I pray, I pray that you believe it and you trust in it. That's, that's one of the best things that you can possibly do as a new believer is trust God's divine nature. You can trust his word because if you can't trust his word, you're not saved because you don't believe Jesus died for your sins. So you believe it for the cross. You believe his word for the cross. You've got to believe everything else. If there's a lie in the Bible, then salvation can't be obtained either. The whole Bible is untrustworthy, but it's not. I can promise you it's not. God is sovereign and he's holy and everything that you read in his Bible. Now don't get these new age Bibles and all these newly printed Bibles. Go back and get you something you can trust. That's why I stick so much and I know there's so many complaints and statements somebody can make about every single version of the Bible but I love to stick with the King James and I'll get me a Strong's Concordance 
and I will read and I'll study the meanings of the words to the Hebrew and the Greek culture and nature so that I can find out the definitions because you're going to find some, some translation issues that you may not understand in every version you get. But make sure you're studying to show thyself approved as well. Don't get caught up in what one version says or the other. Trust God. Pray to him. Talk to him. Let the Holy Spirit teach you what the word says and get yourself around some good Christian people into a good church. Find yourself a good church, a good pastor that you can get under that can help teach you the word of God and lead you the right direction. Amen. God bless you. If you need to return, uh, rewind this thing and listen to it over and over and over, we'll see you in the next episode.